Uh, let's go ahead and start with some prayer. So, uh, dear Lord, we just thank you and praise you for being a wonderful and awesome God, for the salvation that you've given us through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, we are so grateful that you were willing to do that for us, um, as we don't deserve that. Lord, we deserve your wrath, but Lord, you took it upon yourself uh, to free us from that, and Lord, we are grateful for it. Lord, would you open our hearts and minds by your Spirit, Lord, so that we can hear your words uh, through the pen down words that you have given to us. Lord, uh, we just uh, want to give you this time and give you ourselves, Lord. Lord, would you be with each and every man that's in this facility and especially those in this room right now. Lord, would you show them who you are and reveal to them your plan for their life, Lord. So, Lord, we praise you and love you in your name. Amen. Okay, so I'm not 100% determined if I'm about to begin a series through a book of the Bible instead of just picking random stuff here and there. Um, I feel like it might be kind of fun to actually go through a book of the Bible with you guys, almost kind of like they would do on a Sunday morning type thing. And also, this was something that Josh and I have talked about before, but I'm going to start going through the book of Revelation with you guys, just because... It is honestly one of the scariest books to go through, and it's also the most fun. Because literally, when you go through the book of Revelation, you are going through the entirety of the Bible, because there are so many different callbacks to the rest of the Bible. So, um, Revelation, how many of you guys have actually ever read all the way through Revelation? Okay, how many of you guys have ever even read some of Revelation? A little bit. Little bits here and there, kind of here and there. Yeah, it's kind of kind of hard to understand, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, because there's a lot of vision and pictures. Well, the first the first portions where Jesus is kind of addressing the actual churches, you know, that's kind of like present time of that day where he's addressing these things. But at the same time, it's also coming to us as we can learn from these seven churches that he addresses. Um. But obviously, we're going to start in the first chapter, and we're going to go through the first section. Um, and it's, as I said before, the titles in the Bible weren't there, but it is titled as the prologue. It's kind of John explaining how he's getting this vision, why he's getting this vision, and who is giving this vision. Um, so Revelation, in the original language, is actually uh, pronounced... Well, so not the word revelation, but what the book is actually called is called the Apocalypsis. It's where we get our word apocalypse from. So this is the apocalypt apocalyptic book. And it's one revelation. Okay, I want to make sure I correct this right off the bat, because everybody likes to say revelations. There's no S at the end. It's one revelation of Jesus. There's no stopping. There's no pausing. It's one thing. So um, just be aware of that. If anybody ever tries to tell you, well, it's multiple things, it's not. It's one revelation of what the end of time is going to kind of look like. Um, and the reason I say kind of look like is because there's a lot of vision. We don't know exactly everything that John kind of saw because he's using word pictures to describe something that he saw that maybe he didn't know. You know, you talk about like, Horses with, with 
hornet's wings and all, all this weird stuff. You know, he could have just been describing like an Apache helicopter. You never know. Or a dragon, you know. Um, or they're very literal things. So we're not 100% sure. However, it still comes across as really getting to the point of it's going to be bad. And it's going to be scary. But we have this hope in Jesus that we are protected through it from what God is doing, but not from what people will be doing. So um, that's kind of like the big broad, you know, basically it's all Jesus saying, everything hinges on me. And when I come back, you're going to know I come back and then we're all going to be together after the judgment. So um, let's just go ahead and get started right here from the beginning. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servant, his servants, what must soon take place. So that's kind of like saying that, you know, what I'm about to tell the churches here in the first few chapters is something that's about to take place. There are certain things that are going to take place. Like if you go back to the book of Matthew and you go through Matthew 24 and 25, there's a lot of stuff that points to all of Revelation and the things that are going to happen in the end times. And a lot of that also took place in their time, like the destruction of the temple, the siege of Jerusalem. So Jesus was preparing them for that, plus what's going to be coming. So he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, whatever he saw. So... John, this is the disciple John. At the time, he was the youngest disciple. He was also one of the closest with Jesus. Like he said, a lot of times in the book of John, he refers to himself as the beloved. The beloved disciple. Kind of speaks highly of himself. Um, basically saying, I'm, I'm above. It's kind of a little pride thing, I think. But at the same time, he's also, Jesus did love me. He cared about me. So... Um, He's being given this vision by Jesus, obviously, who is being told by God through Jesus, through an angel, to John. Now, Jesus is actually present for a lot of what he's being shown. Um, so just know that basically all parts of the Trinity are involved at this point. You see God, you see the Spirit, and you see Jesus. And then you have a messenger angel who is kind of guiding John through all this vision. Um, and here's something that this is kind of for us. I like that John wrote this because it's, it's wonderful and amazing. And this is one of the things that we need to keep in mind as we go through this book. Uh, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear the words of, of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. So just the mere reading of this book of the prophecy of revelation, reading it through can bring you a blessing. Okay. He's saying that blesses the person who reads this, but also the person that hears it. So sitting here, as you guys hear me going through it and reading it, you guys can receive blessing from it. Now, what that blessing looks like, I don't know. 
It could just be the mere fact that you are getting to hear the Word of God. You know, that alone is a blessing enough. You know, God's Word is very precious to us. The Bible is very precious to us. Because it brings us into a place of worship and glorifying God. And that's what it's meant to do. And it's also meant to reveal to us Jesus. Because we've seen, as we talked before, Jesus is throughout all of Scripture from beginning to end. And so there's blessing when it comes to reading and hearing these words that are written down as this prophecy. Because there's so much prophetic stuff throughout Revelation that our ears are going to bleed because we're going to be like, oh man, we're going to get, probably get lost. I promise you, we will get lost in some of it. Just trying to talk about it and explain some of it because it's just so powerful and it's crazy to see the stuff that's going to be happening. Um, so John continues, John to the seven churches in Asia. <laughs> Not even halfway through a verse and I got to say something. So the seven churches in Asia, the reason it's being addressed to these seven churches is because seven is the number of completion and perfection. So the essential thing that's actually happening here is that Jesus is addressing all the church as a whole by addressing these churches, because these churches, every letter that would get sent by John would be read in that church and then read in that church and then read in that church and then read in that church and, that church and so on and so forth. It would keep going. You know, until they finally were like, we're going to take all these writings, we're going to put them in a, in one big book and make that our canon of scripture, you know, which of course is a whole nother story. We can talk about it some other point of how the canon came together, but just know it was ordained by God to be put the way that it is. Um, so grace and peace to you from the one who was and who is to come and from the seven, oh wait a minute, sorry guys, I missed this one. From the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So John is reiterating where this is coming from. He wants the churches to understand that this is not my words, but these are the words of the Lord. Because he doesn't want to point back to himself. He wants to point to Jesus as God bringing this prophecy and this revelation to him so that it has the weight of the Lord behind it instead of the weight of just some person who followed the Lord. Okay, because if it was just the revelation of John, from John, by John, to the churches, it doesn't hold the same weight as coming from God, being Jesus, through a vision. And then... I like this because you actually you see the, the Trinity kind of written out here. So if you guys don't know the Trinity, the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, One God, three personalities. However, the Spirit 
sometimes is described as the seven spirits of God. It is the number of completion. It's the completeness of God. It's the perfection of God. So you actually see that who, so the one who is God, who was still God, and then who is to come, still God. You know, you see God, but Jesus is all those things, right? Because Jesus was before the foundations of the earth. Jesus always was, and he is the one to come. He's the one to come back. He's the one that comes back on the clouds. On the day of resurrection, on the day of his ultimate return back to the earth to bring judgment, ultimate judgment, and to show that, hey, I rule and reign over this place. This is mine. I created this. It's not the devil's. And that even gets bolstered further down, like we already said, that he is the king over everything, over all the earth. This is his kingdom. Right now, he's just letting Satan kind of watch over it a little bit, have a little bit of rule and reign over it. And, uh, you know, and again, like I said, the seven spirits of God, that is the Holy Spirit. So we see God who is giving Jesus, God the Son, the revelation, and then we see the seven spirits, the Holy Spirit, all at work in the book of Revelation. And that's just the first few, few verses. So there's weight behind that, right? If you have the triune God is giving a message to one of his disciples, one of his followers who trusted him fully, saw him be killed, saw him be buried, and saw him alive again. You know, and John, being on the island of Patmos at this time, is because he was banished there for the gospel, because he wouldn't shut up about Jesus. He wouldn't shut up about the death, burial, and resurrection, so he was banished. But that was only after he had been dipped in tar, been dipped in oil. To this day, we're pretty sure that John is the only original disciple to have died due to natural causes. He didn't die as a martyr, even though he suffered as a martyr. And because they didn't know what to do with him, they're like, we're going to banish him to this island where hopefully he can't spread the gospel anymore but they allowed him to send letters. Huh, their mistake. You know, we were able to get his letters, you know, and the book of Revelation. You know, it's like, you didn't want him to spread the gospel, but I guess you didn't want to stop him from doing everything. God had better plans than what the, what the world had. The world tried to shut him up. God's like, I'm going to make it possible. You know, this guy can make anything possible, right? So, I really, really like this part here that it says that, that he had set us free. So, this is another point to, to Jesus, that we've been set free from sin by his blood, right? Jesus atoned for sin by the shedding of his blood, which is a look back at what they used to do with the lambs. 
on Passover. That's when the sacrificial system really kind of started. So they would take the perfect spotless lamb, they would slaughter it, they would put the blood on the lentils of the doorposts so that the angel of death could not enter. It would see that the blood was there showing who God's people are. Anybody who didn't have that, their firstborn would be taken. You know, that was the final plague on Egypt before Pharaoh was like, okay, I'll let you go. Just go, is what he even said. He's like, just go. We can't, we can't do this anymore. You know, but God provided a way for the Israelites to be saved from that. However, they would have been just as condemned as the Egyptians had they not done what God instructed. And that was by sacrificing the perfect spotless lamb and then putting the blood where they needed to put it. It was showing that blood is covering this home. The blood of the lamb is covering over our sin, which is what Jesus' blood does for us. But it doesn't just cover our sin like sweeping it under the rug. No, it completely frees us from it because that's what it says. It says that we've been freed from sin. That's why we can have over we can have victory over sin. Instead of letting sin reign in our bodies, we can actually overcome it. We can fight against it. You know, without what Jesus did, we wouldn't be able to do that. We would be lost, we would be sinners, and we would end up separated from God. You know, but God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son, right? We all know John 3.16. You know, so we've been set free by the God of all creation, by the God of the universe, by the God who is outside of time and space. Because he stepped into time and space to free us from the bondage of sin and even death. Like, sure, the body dies. But the Spirit goes on if we're following Jesus. And that's going to be a major theme throughout all of Revelation is the constant endurance in faith. Endure, endure, endure. Have faith, continue in faith, remain in faith. And you'll also see lots and lots of repentance and chances to repent. Because God gives chance after chance after chance after chance after chance, even though he doesn't have to but he does. You know, and I like that. It says that he made us a kingdom of priests to God. It means that we are serving God. The priest served in the temple and they would serve in a way that it always glorified God. And if it didn't, if they were to go and say the Holy Holies, they would get killed if they weren't honoring God. God would just take them. You know, but he makes us, through Jesus, a kingdom of priests. That means 
I'm a priest. And if you're following Jesus, you're a priest. You're a priest. You're a priest. You're a priest. It means that we serve God and that our lives are meant to be glorifying to him through our living in Christ and living in Christ's righteousness. You know, so John is just saying, look, we are a kingdom of priests to God. We are here to honor and serve God. And I am doing that by the writing down of what Jesus has told me to write down. And so he says, you too will glorify God if you follow the words and prophecy of this letter, of this prophecy. So then he says, he's kind of speaking in a way that's a little more, a little more oomph behind it in these verses. So in verse seven, it says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. So John is actually pointing back to somebody else's letter. He's pointing back to the letter of the Thessalonians, I believe, if I remember correctly. It's the Thessalonians, right? Or is it Timothy? It's Thessalonians. Yeah, it's the Thessalonians. So he's pointing back to a, a letter written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica. So he is, it's also mentioned in Isaiah. So all the way back in Isaiah, there's already the talk of the things that are to come and are portrayed through the prophecy of Revelation. Because it describes that the Messiah will come on the clouds. But that's the Jesus and Messiah that the Jews were originally looking for. They totally missed the suffering servant lamb who was going to be sacrificed, they always kind of thought, we're waiting for that conqueror. We're waiting for that political leader to lead us into the new heaven and new earth. Well, they're going to get him, but they missed him the first time. Because the first time he came as the lamb, the suffering servant, the sacrifice for sin. They missed him, despite him saying, I'm the Messiah, I am God, I am the Christ, receiving worship and not rebuking people for doing that. Because even the angel who is giving John the guidance through these visions, John will bow down and worship him and he'll say, do not do that. Worship God. You know, so... We see here that basically John is telling us what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. That he comes on the clouds. Everyone will see him. And back then, they're like, well, how's everyone going to see him? You know, they're like, if we're on one side of the earth, like right here, right, here, right now, how would we see him? You know, if we lived in that time, how would we see him? We wouldn't, right? But now we have satellite television. We have all kinds of stuff that we can see. Even right now, there are two stations 
that are that are like Christian stations. They have cameras pointed at the Mount of Olive because that's where Jesus is supposed to return to. The same place he was lifted up from is the same place he's supposed to return to. So these two channels live stream 24-7 these cameras that are pointed at the Mount of Olive and above because that's where Jesus is supposed to return to. I mean, we all know that we're going to be able to know when Jesus is returning. It says that it will be like lightning flashing from east to west. We're going to know it's Jesus. It's not going to be any mistake. I mean, who else do you know that rides on a cloud? No one. You know, he will be so enveloped in light that you're going to think the sun is about to hit the earth. But really, it's just Jesus. It's God Almighty about to step back onto the planet. And everyone else is going to mourn. And sometimes I wonder if this mourning is going to be because they're going to be like, how did we miss this? Or if it's going to be because now they truly are going to see the weight of their sin and what's about to come upon them. You know, because up until this point, the wrath of God has already been being poured out on the earth for seven years. We still have a whole lot of stuff to get into. But when you see the return of Jesus, the seven years has already been, been done. Because Jesus doesn't return until the seven years is over. And then you see that the false prophet and the beast are cast into the lake of fire. Then you see that Satan is bound for a thousand years. And then after that thousand years, he's released for a little bit to maybe deceive the rest of the people on the planet who did not die or who did not decide to follow Jesus, which makes no sense to me. Why would you not follow Jesus when he's right there in front of you? It really doesn't make sense. But people are that rebellious. They love their sin that much that they would rather live in sin than come to their Lord God and Savior who they can see right in front of them. You know, so they mourn. So they're going to mourn over that fact. Because now, at that point, honestly, I feel, and I can't 100% prove this, but I feel that basically there's no more chances. Once Jesus returns, there's no more chance for you to repent. Or your heart's so hardened towards Jesus that you don't want to. But then I feel that people are going to actually begin to feel the weight of what's going to happen. They know that judgment's coming. They know that their chief end is the lake of fire. And so they mourn. Well, later on down the road, they're going to try to mass an army and take Jesus out. Doesn't work. Fire from heaven engulfs them. So 
sorry, but not sorry. You know, I don't understand why people would want to come against God like that. Why they think they can defeat God. Like Jesus spoke everything into existence. And it says when he returns that there is a sharp double-edged sword that's coming out of his mouth. And what do we commonly refer the Bible to? A sword. A sword. The words of Jesus are sharp and double-edged, cutting to bone and marrow. Like, that's the stuff inside your bones. Jesus' words are powerful. And to be able to speak everything into existence, but then to see that people are going to harden their hearts towards that, towards a God who created them, who freed them from sin. Instead, they want to live in sin. I just don't understand why anybody would want to do that. Why wouldn't you want to give your life to the one who gave his life so that we could have victory, his victory? And then John qualifies this even further, qualifies the whole, the whole prophecy of Revelation. And he goes back to the words of Isaiah that come from God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. Jesus says these exact things about himself. All throughout Revelation, calls himself the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, King of kings, Lord of lords. There is no mistaking throughout anywhere in Scripture that Jesus is God. Right? Didn't we talk about this last week? That Jesus explicitly says he's God. He says, I and the Father are one. It's pretty clear. Jesus and God, same person, existing in different forms. Fully God, fully man. You know, and at this point, he's still to come. We're still waiting for him. I, for one, eagerly await him. I want to see the return of Jesus. One way or another, I'm going to, whether it's through the resurrection because I've already passed away or it's because of the rapture that happens simultaneously as the resurrection. One way or another, I get to see it. I get to see him. You know, and if for some odd reason I decide to turn away from Christ, which God forbid, please never let that happen again. You know, I'll still see him. And I'll still bow a knee to him. As it says that, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Whether they believe in him or not, whether they put their trust in him or not, they're going to proclaim it. But still, if they weren't following him in this life and put their faith in him and endured in their faith, their end is the lake. 
of fire. Separation from God and a place of torment forever and ever. God doesn't want that for anyone. It says that the lake of fire was created for the devil, the beast, the false prophet, and the angels that fell with him. It wasn't created for humanity, but we go there by choosing it. No one, no one in humanity is sent to hell. We choose it. By choosing to live in our sin, by choosing to have pride and make ourselves our own God, by choosing to have something else as a God, it doesn't matter what that idol is. If you are worshiping it more than you are worshiping God, you are in sin and in rebellion to God. Every warning we see throughout Revelation, throughout the rest of the Bible, is designed to point us to Jesus and have redemption in Him. Because He is the Alpha and the Omega. Because He is Lord. Because He is the one who was, is, and is still to come. Because He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Redeemer. Do you feel that weight? Feel the weight that you feel the weight of who Jesus is. Not that it's a burdensome weight, but just the gravity of the fact that Jesus is God and Lord, Messiah. It's the one who died and is risen and alive today at the right hand of power of God. There's no getting around this fact. Matter of fact, let me I just let me go back to Isaiah. Let's see if we can just kind of squeeze that in. We can do it real quick. So this is what Isaiah says about God, and this is going right back to that verse of, of the fact that of what, of what he says here, that he is the Alpha Omega, the one who is and one is to come. So in Isaiah, and this is long before the book of Revelation, this is long before even Jesus, you know, on the earth Jesus. This is what the Lord the King of Israel and its Redeemer, the Lord of armies, says, I am the first and the last. There is no God but me. Who is like me? Who can announce the future? Let him say so and make a case for me, since I make a case before me, since I have established an ancient people. Let these gods declare the coming things. And what will take place? Do not be startled or afraid. I have I not told you and declare, declared it long ago. You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? There is no other rock I do not 
know any. I'm not done yet. All who make idols are nothing. And whatever they treasure benefits no one. Their wickedness do not their their witnesses do not see or know anything, so they will not be put to shame. Who makes a god or casts a metal image that benefits no one? God is saying that nothing, nothing, and again, nothing is before me. There is no other God but me. He is emphatic about that. We could not make the case for anything other than God being the only God. And Jesus claiming to be God and proving himself to be God by raising from the dead. You know, understand that, guys. Understand that. Keep that in you. That the God you serve is the only God. And that that God stepped out of glory in the person of Jesus to save you from sins through his blood and then prove to you that he is Lord by raising from the dead. And we're going to see him return one way or another. If you haven't turned your life to Jesus, do it. If you are currently wandering away from him, turn around and go back. Repent. And be saved. He'll always welcome you back. And he calls us to remain faithful and steadfast in faith. And we're going to go deeper into that as we go through Revelation. With that, I'll end. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for the words that you have spoken. Lord, through your word, Lord, through, through my lips, Lord, I can only accredit everything that is said to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that I... I would continue to bring your truth, Lord, powerfully to every man who steps through these doors. Lord, through every man and woman that I come in contact with. Lord, I pray the same thing for these men. Lord, that you would use them. Lord, that you would guide them to a deeper relationship with you, Lord. Lord, so that they can go out and cause people to have relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for the revelation of the prophecy that you've given us through Jesus, Lord, penned down by the disciple John. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear your words, to understand your words, and to follow them, Lord. Lord, we praise you. Lord, help us to honor and glorify you with every fiber of our being. Lord, may we follow you no matter what. Lord, we praise you again. It's in your name that we pray, and we even thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Have a good evening, guys. Thank you.